Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Thank you so much, Stephen. Uh, so excited to be with you all uh, here this morning. Um, I just got back about a week ago from a month-long trip to Thailand. Uh, I was there with Banner Church's sister church, ICA Bangkok, which my parents pastor out there. And it was such an incredible trip, getting to see all the ministries that my parents are doing. Uh, God is moving in such a powerful way there in Thailand. My parents kept me really busy. Uh, I was expecting when I got out there, I was like, I got a month, so I'll, I'll help them with some ministry, but I'm going to get to just kind of sit around and have some time with them. Any of you who know my parents, because they used to be pastors here, that's not how they roll. You know, they, they, they are workers, and so I got there, and we hit the ground running. They were like, day one, hey, by the way, just so you know, you're going to be going to a youth camp in the jungle. Woo! I was like, oh, okay, great. Uh, I will get ready for that. Um, one of the, the really funny moments that, that I had when I was out there, I, I went on this, this youth camp, and we brought about 60 students from the church out into the jungle north of Bangkok. Um, and hung out there. And the, the worship pastor that came to help us, he brought his whole family. And he had a son uh, whose name is Johnny. Johnny is the cutest kid I've ever met in my life. This family, they're from the Philippines. And Johnny, he's about yay high and about the chunkiest little five-year-old you've ever seen. I mean, he's got love handles and they are full of love. Like, it's just chunky little boy and he was so outgoing and so joyful and he was just friends with all the teenagers at camp and I remember one morning we were out at breakfast and Johnny came out with his family and he was itching himself like crazy and he came up I was like Johnny what's going on and he said all the bugs keep biting me and he had been bitten by a lot of mosquitoes and he was complaining to his mom. He's like, Mom, why, why do the mosquitoes keep biting me? And he's itching and itching. And she was like, oh, you know, they, they just think that you're tasty. And then with all the conviction of a saint, he looked up to heaven and said, why, God, did you make me so juicy? <laughs> I was like, oh, Johnny, you are the best. You are. I laughed for like 10 minutes. It was incredible. Um, so much fun being out there, made some cool relationships, and, and also had some, some heavy and difficult talks with people. I mean, there, there is a lot of pain and evil there in Thailand, just like there is here in the States, and God is having to move in, in the midst of that pain. And so, incredible trip, just awesome. Well, today, I, we've been doing a series here at Banner uh, on the Book of Acts, looking at the early church and the way that they lived and the way they operated in the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, I've been so encouraged by this, just getting back to the basics of what the church is all about. When I was in Thailand, I, I felt like the Church of Acts really was coming alive there in a cool way. Uh, and one of the things, though, I've noticed is that there are a lot of moments in Acts where we see the examples of how the church goes well, but we haven't talked much yet about how does it go wrong. And if you've been around church for any length of time, you know the church doesn't always go right. People are messy. 
And so I think that if we look uh, carefully at the book of Acts, that we can see some encouraging moments where things go wrong, but the leaders of the church in that time teach us how to respond when things go wrong. Last week, um, how many of you enjoyed my friend Patrick's message? Yeah, so good about how the Holy Spirit can empower you to serve in the church. Uh, this week, I, I really want to kind of jump off of that, looking at Acts chapter 8, verse 5. After those verses that Patrick preached on, where the disciples prayed over people to empower them to go out into the world, uh, there are some terrible things that happen right after. One of those young men that's prayed over by the disciples, his name was Stephen. And Stephen goes out and he proclaim, proclaims the gospel, and many people believe because of it, but also it gets him in trouble. And he is accused of, uh, of blaspheming God, and he is actually stoned to death. He is one of the first martyrs of the church. And then after this, the disciples encounter a lot of persecution themselves, and they have to actually flee the city and go to a place called Samaria where they can continue to preach freely. So we're going to pick up the story right there. Again, it's Acts chapter 8, verse 5. This is a longer passage. Just stick with me. I want you to catch the narrative of what's happening, and then we'll unpack it together at the end. So again, Acts chapter 5, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 8, verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon, somebody say Simon, Simon, had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you. 
because you have thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. I love this passage of scripture because it shows us a really interesting contrast in this time in the early church. The early church is coming off of some big wins. The power of the Holy Spirit is showing up. We're seeing miracles. The gospel is spreading. People are finding hope and restoration and healing in Jesus Christ. But in the midst of all of that, there's attacks from the outside with persecution. And now, with Simon, there's corruption on the inside. Somebody who has accepted the faith, who has been baptized in the church, is trying to take the message of Christ, trying to take the power of the Holy Spirit and use it for his own selfish ends. And one of the things that shocks me about this passage is the harshness that Peter addresses Simon with. It's harsh. I mean, is anyone a little shocked by that? I, I was when I first read this. It's harsh. Why would he be so harsh? I, I think today... There's a few things that I, uh, questions I want to answer, three in particular, that I think can really help us as a church, reflecting not only on what happened back then with this corruption with Simon, but also trying to wrestle with some of the corruption that we've seen in the church today. Three questions I want to answer today. Number one, why does the church need the power of the Holy Spirit? This has been a major theme of our discussion in Acts, and I, I want to just talk very briefly today about the character of the Holy Spirit and how important it is for the life of the church. Number two, despite the power of the Holy Spirit, how can this power be misused? And then number three, how should we react when the power of the Holy Spirit is misused. Notice I don't say if, but when this power is misused. The title of this sermon today uh, is The Simon Problem. I think that Simon represents a problem that has plagued the church from the time of Acts to our present day. And the way that we respond to this problem will make or break our church community. I truly believe this. So let's look at that first question first. Why does the church need the power of the Holy Spirit? In Hebrew and Greek, Josh has mentioned this in, in weeks past. In Hebrew and Greek, you have two words for the Holy Spirit that have very, very, very similar meanings. In Hebrew, it's ruah, and in Greek, it's pneuma. And both of these words, they mean spirit, but they also can mean wind or breath. 
And these are actually really important images for understanding what in the world is all this stuff about the Holy Spirit. You see, because wind and breath represent a life that you can't see, but at times you can feel. We know that we're alive because there's breath in our lungs, but unless it's a super cold day, you don't see the breath. But it's there indicating the life. And I think that image is used by the authors of the Bible because it illustrates so profoundly, and listen to this, this is so important, that the Holy Spirit is the breath of the church. Without the Holy Spirit, the church dies. We need it in our midst. It is what redeems us, it is what leads us to Christ. It is the essential thing. And the reason for this, and this is a basic doctrine of Christianity, but it's one that gets a lot of people hung up, is that the Holy Spirit is God himself. That God is one, but he's three persons. One being three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we are missing part of God himself. Now, uh, I, I don't have time to go into all the intricacies of this doctrine. Uh, that is for another day. Unless, do you guys want me to go two hours? Yeah. We could. Hey, if you want to, you just let me know. We'll just go two hours. We could talk about the Trinity. It's incredible. Uh, but I just want to summarize real briefly so that it's not a stumbling block in our conversation here. Like I said, when we talk about God in the scriptures, we see that he presents himself as one being, three persons. When I say being in persons, here's what I mean. I am one human being, and I'm also one person. I'm Jamin. So you see before you one being and one person, my identity and who I am. But God, and this is hard for us to wrap our minds around, is one substance, one being, but expresses himself in three persons. He is, in his essence, three persons. Um, this is something that, uh, uh, there's no perfect metaphor to help us understand it, but I always fall back on, on the truth that the mysteries of God are always more satisfying than the certainties of man. Always. I think the only thing that I, I would just say before I move on on this to kind of help us put this in perspective. Like, why would God show us himself in this way? And it's so confusing, it's so difficult to wrap our minds around. Remember how different God is from us. You know, in this world, we experience the world in three dimensions, right? Can you imagine if for some reason, Daffy Duck in the cartoons, in the Looney Tunes, came to life, and you tried to explain to a two-dimensional Daffy Duck, what the third dimension is like. How would you do it? How do you explain to a two-dimensional being three dimensions? It'd be impossible. And I think that the way God expresses himself to us is in the same way. We can't fully understand it, but we must accept it. It is essential to the life of the church because it's essential to the identity of who God is. What does the Spirit do? Well, we're told in Scripture a lot of things about how the Spirit operates in the life of the church. It, the most essential thing is that the Spirit creates and recreates. We see this at the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, that the Spirit hovered over the waters and was part of creation. 
We also see this in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, that the Holy Spirit is working in us to recreate us, to give us new life. But there's more than that. We're told in John chapter 14, verse 26, that the Holy Spirit instructs us, that it is what leads us to the truth in the scriptures, the truth of Jesus Christ. We're also told in John chapter 16, verse 8, that the Holy Spirit convicts us when we are not living in alignment with the purposes that God has designed us for the Holy Spirit convicts our hearts and puts us to the right path we're also told in John chapter 14 that the Spirit comforts us that he is a helper a comforter somebody who can come to us in our time of need and then finally, and this is the one that we so often forget, the Spirit empowers the church. It empowers the church to do the impossible, to bring about miracles. And we see this right here in this story that we read today. We see it also in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel, we see the Spirit of God come upon David and empower him for the great things that God wants him to do. And we see it again and again with people that God has chosen and here in the book of Acts, the people of God, the church of God, do not only encounter Jesus, but they receive the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and do miracles. And that's a promise that's for us today as well. Ultimately, all of these attributes of the Holy Spirit lead to one thing. The Holy Spirit is building the kingdom of God. It is what empowers us as communities of believers to build God's kingdom here on earth. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot do it. We don't have the strength. We don't have the wherewithal. We don't have the intelligence. We don't have the righteousness to do it ourselves. But with the Holy Spirit, there is nothing that's impossible. When I was out in Thailand this last month, I met a young man about the same age as me who is one of the most incredible human beings I've ever met. His name is Jackie. And Jackie was from Shanghai, but he had moved to uh, Thailand uh, about a year before I met him this last month. And when he moved to Thailand to begin teaching at a school, something changed for him. He had grown up Buddhist in a very staunchly Buddhist home. He had never heard anything at all about Christianity, but all of a sudden, after he came to Thailand, he started having dreams. Dreams of things that he couldn't explain. Dreams that were leading him to question the faith that he had. And these dreams came to him, and they were speaking things to him that he couldn't understand, but the one name that kept coming back was the name of Jesus. He had heard that one of the teachers at his school was a Christian, and so he came to her and started asking her, what is going on? What are these dreams? What do they mean? And this teacher started to pray with Jackie, and then there, just in their first meeting as she prayed with him, the Holy Spirit came powerfully upon him, and Jackie fell on his face before her, and he converted to Christianity right then and there. He then was baptized in my parents' church there in Bangkok, and he's been being discipled by my dad for the last several months. And in this time, 
Jackie was wrestling with a lot of things, and in the meeting that we had together, we spent about three hours together talking, and he told me about how difficult things had been since he converted because his family had basically disowned him. He was mar newly married at the time, too, of his conversion. His wife was not a Christian. And so I, 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 he told me that he began to pray and just seek the Holy Spirit, and he didn't understand the Bible very well. He's a new believer, but he just believed that the Holy Spirit was going to move in his family's life. Only a few months later, his wife started having some of the same dreams that he was having. She was baptized in the church, gave her life to Jesus, and is now serving God today. When I met with him, he told me that he was about to head home to visit his family for the first time in several years. He was really nervous about it. He was stressed out. He said, but I know that the Holy Spirit has got me. And I, I remember I, I was talking with him, and maybe this is just because I've been in Scottsdale too long, but some of the stuff he was telling me was so heavy. I was like, how are you taking care of yourself? You doing self-care? Like what? And he, he looked at me without a blink, and he said, the Holy Spirit is all I need. The Holy Spirit gives me enough comfort. And he told me that he felt like the Holy Spirit was leading him when he goes back home, that even though he didn't want to shake up things too much because he had, his family really was upset that he was a Christian, that he needed to tell his brother about Jesus. His brother there is in the military, and he said, I don't know how this is going to go, but Jamin, please be praying with me. I just feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me to do this. And three days later, Jackie texts me, and he said, my brother's now a follower of Christ. So we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us in directions we never would have gone on our own. He is the lifeblood of the church. It is what empowers us for the ministry. But so often, and this is so tragic, the blessings of God are corrupted and made curses for man. And we see that happen in these verses I read. Go back with me to Acts chapter 8, looking now at verse 18. I want to answer this question, how can this power be misused? When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Church, I think it's so essential for us to remember that you cannot build the kingdom of God without the king. And so often we try. And that's exactly what's happening here with Simon. He wants the kingdom. He wants the blessings of God's kingdom. But he wants to be his own king. Sadly, Simon is not alone in this. I notice with myself, this happens all the time. It's so easy to fall into this attitude, into this heart posture, that God, I want your blessings. I want you to move in my life and the life of people around me, but I want it on my own terms. In this passage, Simon wants to use the power of the Spirit for his own ends, to increase his own glory, his own fame, his own wealth. The purpose of the spiritual gifts, 
as with everything else in this life, is to unite us in perfect unity with God, to bring us back to the one through whom and for whom all of creation was made. If we make anything else the goal, the object, or the end of our lives, we will lose everything. There is no other end, no other goal, no other object for which our faith can look to other than perfect union with God. This also is true of things that we would consider good. If you make the whole gospel of Christ about blessings in your family, you're in church because you want to make sure your kids uh, are moral and they grow up in a, a moral place and they can go be good citizens. We've missed it. That's not a bad thing. If you're in the church and you pray for your children, God is faithful to bless your family. He will make us righteous, but that's not the goal. The goal is perfect union with God. This happens too politically. Oftentimes we see the chaos of the world and we feel the temptation to make our faith about making society more just and more peaceful whatever that might look like. It's not wrong. It's not bad. We're told in the Bible that as Christians, we should promote justice. We should try to help society become as godly as possible. But that's not the end. That's not the goal. It goes beyond that. And if we stop there, we're going to miss it. C.S. Lewis, uh, many years ago, wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and I, I really love this book because it, it's kind of a fun, interesting way of going about spiritual principles. In the book, he has two demons who are writing letters to each other, trying to give advice about how they can lead a new convert to Christianity away from God. And so they exchange strategies, and the, the whole point of the book is to kind of give you a peek into, as Lewis might say, the strategies of hell against you so that you can be more prepared. And in one of the letters, we see that Screwtape, this demon, is writing to his fellow demon, giving him advice about a young man who had just converted, and he says one of the best things you can do is get him to focus on just the temporary things of the here and now, even good things. At this time that C.S. Lewis wrote this, it was World War II, and so he says, get this man to focus on pacifism. Make all of his faith about pacifism. Or get him to focus his faith on patriotism in defeating the Nazis. If he focuses on that, we have him. Now, let me read it for you. This is so good. Listen carefully. This is, again, a demon writing a letter. It says, once you have made the world an end and faith a means, you have almost won your man. And it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he is pursuing, provided that meetings, pamphlets, policies, movements, causes, and crusades matter more to him than prayers and sacraments and charity. He is ours. And the more religious on those terms, the more securely ours. I could show you a pretty cageful down here. 
Sadly, the church has had a long history of people trying to build the kingdom without the king. And every time it happens, it, it ends in disaster, and it's one of the hardest things for us to see. We saw this just a few hundred years after this time in Acts when the Roman Emperor Constantine converts to Christianity and then uses Christianity to justify his civil wars and his political assassinations. We see it years later in 1095 when Pope Urban II called upon Christians in Europe to take up arms and go fight for the Holy Land. He only did this to promote his own power and the power of the church. And because of it, it led to two centuries of war and bloodshed that we now call the Crusades. In the 15th century, corruption and bribery in the church had become so commonplace in Europe that some people decided that they had to leave that church altogether and try to start over like the book of Acts. We call these people the reformers. And one of the most famous of the reformers, the, the German monk and pastor Martin Luther, he said that all this corruption in the church, this bribery and trying to use the church to get our own power, he gave it a name and he condemned it. And the name he gave it was simony, referring back to this passage about Simon the sorcerer. He said that that's what the church was doing. These priests were practicing simony. They were trying to have the kingdom, but without the king. In our own day and age, we see this simony sadly happening again and again. Jerry Falwell, recent scandals surrounding the Southern Baptist Convention, Hillsong Church. Just recently, the Russian Orthodox Church put out pamphlets supporting the invasion of Ukraine by their president. Again and again we see it. And it's painful. Painful to watch. So what do we do? How do we respond when the church doesn't live up to what the church was always made to be? Look again at Acts chapter 8 verse 21. Peter is speaking here to Simon. Peter says, You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. The fact of the matter is, there is nothing in this world more heartbreaking than when the blessings of God are turned into curses for men. When they're corrupted and twisted and broken, Nothing more heartbreaking than when marriage, which was designed for love and support, turns into bitterness and resentment. 
Nothing more heartbreaking than when a father whose role it is to love and protect rejects us and lets us down. Nothing hurts more than when the church which Christ commissioned to go and to preach the gospel of love and peace, of reconciliation to God, uses that message to abuse. But that's not the whole story. Let's remember that there were abuses throughout Christian history, starting even with Simon in the book of Acts, but there is great good. Wherever there's a Simon, there's also a Stephen who give up their lives for the gospel. Men and women who started the first orphanages in the second century. Christians who founded the world's first universities in the 12th. Christians who went out and took care of the poor and the needy when nobody else would. Who prayed for miracles and saw healings and divine signs. Who loved their communities in spirit and truth. There's only two real reactions we can have when we encounter this corruption. Two. You can let the pain of it embitter you and push you away from the church. You can run away and try to find another community that's not messy. Many of us in this room have done that before. And we know how it ends. Wherever you run from one mess, you'll just find another. Because human beings are messy. We're full of sin. As a mentor of mine put it, uh, <laughs> he used to say, where there's people, there's poop. Yeah. Sorry. Well, <laughs> where there's people, there's sin. You're not going to get away from it, running from the church community. The other option that we have is that we can actually let the anger, let the pain, let the disappointment that we feel when the church doesn't live up to its mission fill us with a passion to fulfill that mission truly. There's a, a process that I see in this passage that I just read, a four-part process for how we can do this. I'm going to go through these very quickly, and then we're going to wrap up today. I see here with Peter and with the disciples that when they encounter Simon and the problem of Simon, they do four things. Number one, they call it out for what it is. They repent, forgive, and they keep moving forward. As Christians, it's so important that we call out corruption and abuse when we see it. We cannot allow those things to sit under the surface because they will come up and continue if we don't address them. But we always have to be careful. When you address something outside of yourself, it's so easy to put your finger outward towards those abuses and you forget that the same heart and attitude that led people out there to those abuses is also in your own heart. When we're honest with ourselves, we see it. I've seen it time and time again where I may be speaking words that sound Christian, but really I'm using them in a way to serve my own purposes. And I may not in those moments 
have caused as much damage as some of the people I've mentioned here, Pope, Urban, or Constantine. But if I leave it unchecked and unrepentant, I could cause just as much damage. So after we call out, we must come to God in repentance, seek his face, that he will change our hearts so that we don't go down the same path. Number three, we need to forgive. Please hear me today. To forgive is not the same thing as to excuse. Forgiveness is not tolerance. Forgiveness is not tolerance. Forgiveness is releasing the power of bitterness over us. When we choose to forgive the inexcusable, God will do the impossible. And we do this because Christ forgave us. He gives us the example. The most famous verse in the Bible articulates this so well. John 3, 16 through 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God has already offered you forgiveness for the inexcusable in your own heart, you must do the same. And then finally, keep moving forward. We must remember that the corruption of anything, even the church itself, does not mean that that thing is worthless or should be abandoned. We do not let counterfeits define reality. If you're walking on the street and you see a $20 bill, you get all excited, you pick it up, and you discover it's a fake, you don't lose your faith in all money, right? When we encounter counterfeits in the church, people who are like Simon, that shouldn't wreck our faith because we found a counterfeit. It should show us that there's something real here, so real, that people will try to imitate it. If anything, the counterfeit is evidence of the reality. The church is messy. People are messy. But you can't run away from the mess. Instead, it's better, like these disciples, to start picking up the pieces. Clean up the mess. Notice that in this last part of the passage, after this encounter with Simon, what do the disciples do? Do they sit around and get angry and get bitter and gripe? Nope. They just keep preaching the gospel. They keep praying for healing. They keep the mission of the kingdom going. And we have to do the same. I'd like to invite the worship team up. When I was in Thailand, one of the toughest conversations that I had was with a, a young man, a, a college student there in Thailand from India. His name was David. Um, David is a very bright, and very caring, very empathetic person, but he asked if he could meet with me while I was out there. He just wanted to share some of the things that he was really struggling with. So we went out to coffee there in Bangkok, and I asked him, you know, well, what's going on? What can I pray for you for? What, 
what would you like to tell me? And he began to tell me a story, and I, I won't give you any details, but his story was just of an unimaginable amount of pain from the church. His church back home in India had hurt him and betrayed him and betrayed his family. And he told me about all the lies that had hurt him, that had broken him. And he told me, I just don't know if I can continue this walk with Christ. It's too hard to be in the church. And I, I really sympathized with David. I just listened to him. I listened to his heart. I listened to him tell me all this. And at the end... I felt like there were really two things that I needed to tell him. Number one, David, this is nothing new. The church has always encountered this sort of thing. And the church has survived it. And then two, I told him, David, you have a decision to make. The pain that you're feeling about this, it's justified. It's okay you feel this anger. But notice that your anger is because the things that these people did to you don't line up with Jesus. So what are you going to do? Are you going to leave Jesus behind? Will that solve the problem? Or will you use this as an inspiration to become more like him? that's the only solution to dive deeper into the life of Jesus Christ and the life of the Holy Spirit I told him about my own struggles with this about how when I was 17 my own family was broken and betrayed by people in the church I watched in just one year alone three pastors that I loved and who I thought cared for me I saw them fall from grace with moral sin one of them failed sexually the other one committed embezzlement in the church and another one fell into drug addiction broke me I remember those seasons 17 18 years old just wondering God where are you? how could this be your church how could this be the community of redemption and God came to me the same way that I felt that I spoke to David in that day Jamin what are you going to do about it you going to run away or are you going to clean up the mess? And I'm so happy that the Holy Spirit led me to the latter. Would you stand with me today? With every head bowed, every eye closed, there are a number of you that I want to pray for here today. Some of you, when you look into your heart with honesty, you can see the problem of Simon cropping up. You can see that there's times and attitudes in your life where you've made the kingdom about you, not about Christ. Others of you, probably many of you, have been hurt and betrayed because of people in the church acting like Simon. I want to tell you today that God 
wants to heal you. God doesn't want you to sit in that bitterness any longer. I want to pray for you all here today, whatever it is there that you're struggling with. And just know that we as a church are praying with you, that you're not fighting this battle alone. And as we enter again into this time of worship, I want you to wrestle with God in these ways. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your heart, to bring healing to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the power of your spirit and the life that it gives us as a church. We thank you, Lord, for the church, for this community, Lord, where we can come and encounter you and be encouraged. Pray, God, right now that whatever hurts have befallen us, whatever betrayals have come, Whatever ways, Lord, we have abused the gospel or the gospel has been abused to us, I pray right now, Lord, that your faithfulness would stand above it all. That you would minister to our hearts and our minds and that you would bring healing to us. Holy Spirit, be our comforter, even in time of trouble. In your holy name, we pray this. Amen. Let's worship together. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.